If you want to turn to page 43, I mentioned earlier that there are, there are language that is um, strictly used within covenant, much like there are certain legal terms that are only used in legal documents. Uh, the same thing is true within covenant. There are covenant words that are only used to describe and relate to covenant. We looked at one of those words last week when we looked at the word pakesh, to, uh, to, to cross, to covenant cross uh, a threshold to enter into a covenant with. Another one that we want to look at tonight is this word hesed. And it's, a, it's the Hebrew word that is translated in many different ways, but it's, it's translated as maybe mercy. That's primarily what it's used in the, uh, the King James. Sometimes it's used as loving kindness or loyalty, unchanging love, good, kindly, favor, righteousness, and some various forms of those words. Hesed is really a difficult word to translate, and that's why there are so many words for it. But the reality is it's a covenant word. Whenever it is used, it is used speaking of covenant. And so, depending on your translation, if, you, if loving kindness is the one that's used often in the New American Standard, as well as the King James, or the King James often uses mercy as well. But whenever you're reading your Bible in the Old Testament, if you come across this word, chances are it's this hesed. And if you have you know, some Bible tools, you can look it up. But when, when you see this, you know, them referring to the loving kindness, they're referring to this covenant love. And it, in many ways, speaks to the nature of the covenant that we have with God. Because it speaks to the nature that He has and why He entered into covenant. So, as, as a simple example, think about David. When David sinned against um, uh, Bathsheba and then Uriah, he, what two sins did he commit there? Adultery and murder. And what did we say earlier tonight were the sacrifices for those two sins? There were none. There was no sacrifice. There was a penalty, death, but no sacrifices were permitted. And David knows that. Look what he says in Psalm 51. This is his psalm of repentance. And in verse 16 he says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering." This psalm was written as a result of his sins. And he says, if there was a sacrifice, I would have given it. But there's none. There is no sacrifice. Under the old covenant, David's a dead man. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts. So watch what David does. What he did at the beginning of the psalm, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, has said. David appeals to the covenant that he has with God. So he knows under the old covenant he's a dead man, but God, he has another covenant with God where God says he will protect him and put him in his line on his throne, and keep him on the throne. And so he says, I'm appealing to that covenant. Will you show me mercy? Will you show me loving kindness, this covenant love, according to the greatness of your compassion and blot out my transgressions? So when, when you see this word, loving kindness, over and over again, it shows up many times in the Old Testament. It's this, uh, this covenant word. And that's the nature of covenant. And it, and it expresses, I think, why God entered into covenant in the first place. He's God. He didn't have to enter into covenant with you and I. 
But because of Hesed, because of his loving kindness, God, who had all the power, chose to enter into covenant with man who had none. Remember we said last week about how if there was a powerful tribe and a weaker tribe, very rarely would the powerful and the weaker go into covenant. Because then they'd have to share everything. Instead, the powerful would do what? Just take over. Just, you know, win it. Just, you know, defeat them. And then they got everything within that tribe, but they don't have to share it with them. Well, that's the case with God. God is all-powerful. We're all not. But He chooses, because of His hesed, because of His loving kindness, to enter into covenant with you and I. Now, I want to take a look at this new covenant, this nature of the new covenant, but I want you to start with understanding first that the new covenant really isn't so new after all. In fact, the new covenant is older than the old covenant. It precedes it. Let's take a look at the story in Genesis. Genesis 15, in particular. This is where Abraham decides to, or where God comes up to Abraham, and in this point, in chapter 15, God's already promised him an heir. And Abraham thought he was going to be Lot, and so you know his nephew was going to be the heir, and then that didn't work out. So then he adopted Eliezer, who is a, a slave born into his house. Because God had told him earlier that it's going to be someone born of your house. So Abraham, trying to help out God, picked Eliezer to be his heir. And then God shows up and says, it's not going to be Eliezer. It's going to be someone born of your own loins. It's going to be an actual son that's going to be, be your heir. Well, Abraham at this point is about 80, 85 years old, somewhere in there. And, you know, Sarah is 70, 75 years old. Neither of them has ever had a kid. So what's he thinking? This ain't going to happen, God. I mean, I don't know what you're smoking, but this ain't going to happen. I mean, I just, I can't see it happening. And so what he does is he asks God, how can I know? I mean, you've just... Here's the story where he, he, you know, God takes Abraham outside. He says, look up at the stars. Look at the sky. Count the number of stars. Your descendants will outnumber them. Really, God? <laughs> I've got no kids? Really? I'm going to have descendants that outnumber the stars? Are you talking about, you know, the big stars or, you know, the purple ones? I mean, really? How can I know? And so God chooses to enter into covenant with Abraham. Now, why did he do that? Was it to bind himself so that he would never break his promise to Abraham? Is it to say, well, okay, I'm in covenant, now, I, now I'm definitely going to do it. Was that why? No. Because God will never lie. He didn't have to go into covenant. He was going to do it anyways. So who is that covenant really for? For Abraham. It was to give Abraham confidence. It was to bolster his faith. It was to give him the knowledge, I'm in covenant, and God will never break covenant. So I'm okay. I may be old. Sarah may be old too, but we're going to have a child. And so he could have that faith that God was going to do it. So God chose to enter into covenant. And so you can see now what we're going to look at is some of the, the rituals and rites that they enter into. And what he does in verse 12 he, he, or before verse 12, he's got Abraham to take some animals and to split the animals in half and create a pathway of blood. Which for everybody but Jim and Chris says, ooh. But really, again, this is something that Abraham understood. This was a blood covenant that he was going into with God. 
And so he's all excited. This is the strongest covenant. So he knew it was happening. We're going to cut the animals, sacrifice them. There's going to be blood. We're going to walk this path together. And I'm going to be in covenant with God. And so he does it. He takes the animals, cuts them in two, you know, puts them in place. And he's all ready. Here I am, God. Let's go. And then verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. He's all ready to go. Biggest day in his life, about to walk the aisle with God. And he falls asleep. He's caught napping. Why? He's 80. I mean, when I'm 80, I'll be napping too. Is that why? No. He had another good 60 years in him, so that wasn't it. Who do you think caused the deep sleep? God did. God caused him to fall asleep. And then in verse 17, after he says some things to what's going to happen to the, to the generations after Abraham, how they're going to go to Egypt and suffer, but then they're going to come forth after four generations. In verse 17, it says, And it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark. Behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. So instead of God and Abraham walking this path, all of a sudden, a smoking oven and a flaming torch show up, and they walk the path. And I believe the smoking oven is God, the all-consuming fire, and the torch is Jesus, the light of the world. And so God and Jesus walk the path. Now, here's so incredible. Here's what I want you to see. The covenant is between God the Father and God the Son where Jesus becomes our covenant representative. He becomes our ambassador. He's the mediator. And the covenant is between God and the Son. And because we're in Christ, everything that's true of Christ, what happens to Christ because of the covenant, is shared with you and I. And what that means is, the terms of living up to what's required in the covenant is up to Jesus. And because we're in Him, we benefit from it. See, look what, look what Paul says. This is really the, Paul's commentary on Genesis 15. And really, when I say Paul, it's the Holy Spirit in Paul. Look what he says in Galatians 3. He says, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. Yet when it's been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Meaning, um, if, if you go into a covenant, uh, so recently I bought a house and I've entered into a covenant with the builder. And, you know, when the day comes and, you know, we buy the house and I, you know, sign over that final check, they can't turn around and say, you know, we were thinking of renting out the garage. Can we do that? Can we rent out the garage? We just want to put some tools in there so our workmen don't have to, you know, travel far. Can we, can we do that? What am I going to say? No. We've got an agreement. You can't break the agreement. That's set in stone. And so what Paul is saying, you can't change the agreement after it's, been, after it's been ratified. So in verse 16, now the promises, and the promises is really the covenant, the covenant terms. That's really what that means. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. So the Abrahamic covenant is really the new covenant that appeared 400 years before the Mosaic Covenant, or also known as the Old Covenant. 
And so what Paul is saying is, so what I'm saying is this, that the Mosaic Covenant, the law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. So the new covenant is actually older. It was the covenant that God made to Abraham and to the seed, to Jesus. And so God and Jesus walked that path and they entered into covenant where he became our representative. And all the blessings are then shared to everyone that he represents. Am I making sense? So one covenant can't nullify another one, so it you can't have a covenant contradict another one. No. Yeah, so the old covenant didn't invalidate the new covenant. And meaning that the new covenant had a direct purpose. This was what's going to save us. This was the one that counts. This old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, had another purpose, and it never was meant to save us. It had another purpose, what we saw earlier, which was, yes, to, to make them a people, to minister to the world around them, but really to show them the need for Christ, the need for this new covenant. So God, because of his loving kindness, has said he chose to enter into covenant with our representative, Jesus Christ. That's why it was important that Jesus came as a man. He could then represent and be the mediator for man. Therefore, everyone in Christ becomes full partakers of this new covenant. And you and I, we entered into Christ because of our faith. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whoever believes into, that's literally the word, whoever believes into Christ shall not perish, but have eternal life. And so as a result of our faith, God has transplanted us into Christ, and we are now partakers of everything in this covenant. The responsibility of upholding the terms of the covenant belongs to God and Jesus, because they're the ones that made the covenant. So God is faithful to His end, to save and protect us, and Jesus is faithful in His end, to be obedient in order that we could be made righteous. So Romans 5.19 says, By the obedience of the one, Jesus Christ, the many were made righteous. So our part then is simply to believe and depend upon Him, depend upon them to fulfill both sides of the covenant. You see how He's got it all covered? He's saying, I'm not you know, going to trust you with any of this because you won't do it. You won't make it. So I'm going to cover it from both sides. Will you now trust me to do that? Will you put your faith in me? And because he is faithful, he will never fail the covenant. Are you starting to see how safe the covenant is? Well, let me, let me illustrate this covenant with, to you with the story of Mephibosheth. And I have been practicing that word for months. Um, Mephibosheth. I, you know, Melchizedek is so much easier for me. Um, but, but Mephibosheth is one of the the most spectacular stories of the Old Testament, I think, because of what it pictures. How many people have heard the story of Mephibosheth before? It's, it blows my mind. I love this story. Um, Mephibosheth was a son of Jonathan, who was the son of Saul. But to understand the story, uh, we got to go back to even before Mephibosheth is even born, probably um, about 10 years before he's born. And, and this story really spans two books. It starts in 1 Samuel and it comes to its conclusion in 2 Samuel. But in 1 Samuel, we see a covenant that is made between David and Jonathan. 
So these two, they've already entered into covenant. In fact, earlier on in covenant, they, you saw what they did. They, they made an exchange of robes, an exchange of weapons. So we saw that right, that ritual, that what belongs to me belongs to you. Who's your enemy is my enemy. Your strength is my strength. So they've already entered into a form of covenant. Well, now David said, you know what? I think Saul's out to kill me. And John says, no, he can't be. He goes, well, I think he is. Well, what gave you that idea? Probably the spear he threw at me the other day. Well, you know, you got a few spears at you. You might think someone's out to get you. So he's thinking Saul's out to get me and, and get him. And John says, no, no, no. Well, let me give it a test. You go and hide out for a while and we'll see how my dad responds. Sure enough, they discover it's not good. And Saul's, you know, furious that David's not there because he wanted to kill him. And Jonathan knows what's going to happen. But Jonathan also knows that David is going to be the king. And here's what's remarkable. Jonathan is the crown prince. Jonathan is the next in line. I mean, he is a heartbeat away from being the king of Israel. But he knows David's the next king, not him. And he loves David. And so he chooses to enter into a covenant with David. And I don't know if this is the last time they ever saw each other. It might well have been because the next 10, 15 years, David's on the lamp. He's running. But they enter into covenant here. And Jonathan had nothing to gain. Everything to lose. But he goes, I want to enter into covenant with you. And so he says this, You shall not cut off your loving kindness, your hesed, from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. This is what, this is what Jonathan says. He goes, I want to enter into a covenant that my descendants, my household, you will care for. And I will care for yours. I will protect them, I will provide, I will look after them. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. So this is a covenant. It's a covenant you will not break unless you're going to get cursed. And the curse is you break it, your enemies, David, are going to take you down. And David's more than happy to enter the covenant. So Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. It was a pure love. It was a righteous love. These two people, these two men loved each other and they entered into a, a blood covenant where they were going to protect each other's descendants, each other's household on pain of death. Okay? Well, David then runs off into the forest. Like I said, he probably never saw or spoke to Jonathan again. I don't, I don't think there is any occasion where the two met up again. And so he's in covenant with him, but he never got to see him. And he had no idea what, what transpired. And about 10 years down the road, Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth. Five years later, so Mephibosheth is now five years old, David and Jonathan go into battle. They go and fight a, a war. They end up being killed. And the word comes back to David, and David laments over this, and he, he gives his uh, a great lament in, in the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 1. Not just lamenting Jonathan, which you could understand, but even lamenting Saul over the loss of him. Because in those 10, 15 years, he began to learn how to love like God loves. It took 10, 15 years of being on the run to learn that, but he learned it. And so he loved Saul. He loved Jonathan. But you see, when word came back to, to Jonathan's household, specifically to the nurse that was looking after Mephibosheth, she was terrified. Because she knew that David was going to be king. 
And what would happen in that time, and really still happens to, to some extent today, when a king is replaced with another family, what that person would do is they would kill everyone in the other family so there would be no more challenges to the throne. There would be no uprisings. And, and so they would make sure that you know when I become king, I'm going to get rid of the old king and all his family. I'm going to kill his line so no one can claim the throne and I now can be the rightful owner to it. And so the nurse, knowing that Jonathan's dead, David's king, well, if Jonathan's dead, who was the rightful heir? Mephibosheth. And so she's terrified, thinking David's going to come and kill him. So she picks up the five-year-old and begins to bolt, just runs. And while she's running, she trips and she falls. And look what it says in 2 Samuel 4.4. 4. So now Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. And when he was five years old, when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. He was now a cripple. He was paralyzed. And think about this now. His, at age five, his life is done. Because back then, when you were a cripple, you were worthless. You can't work. You can't fight. You have nothing to offer anymore. You're finished. And so they took uh, Mephibosheth, the rightful owner of all of Saul's kingdom, and they took him to a place called Lodabar. Now, Lodabar means barren and wilderness, unfruitful. That's what they took him to. So they took this lame, crippled boy and they hid him in a wilderness. And that's all he knew. So every morning he got up, he looked out, and what did he see? Barren, unfruitful wilderness. And I bet you he was thinking, what a great picture of my life. Because I am unfruitful, I've got nothing to offer, I am just a cripple. Well, now this is where the story gets really interesting. In 2 Samuel 9 now, David's king, he's been established. And then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness, has said for Jonathan's sake? He's in his throne room with all his advisors and he says, Is there anybody left from Jonathan's line, from his house, that I can show this covenant love, this loving kindness for Jonathan's sake. Because the love I have for him and the covenant that I made to him. Well, so we ask this of all the people. Again, is there, there, is there yet not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness has said of God? And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So Ziba was one of the uh, people who was looking after Mephibosheth. And he shows up and he says, well, there is one. There is Mephibosheth, but he's lame. He's a cripple. He's got nothing to offer. He's got no value. And so David sends for him. Bring him to me. Now, if you're Mephibosheth, think about what your concept of David is. I mean, all your life, maybe when you were five, just, you know, six, seven, eight years old, maybe even when you're 10, 12, 15, and you come to your nurse, you come to, your, to the ones looking after you and say, tell me again how I became lame. Tell me the story again of why I can't walk. 
And how would they have described it? Well, John, well, Mephibosheth, your father and your grandfather died in a battle. And there was this wicked, evil man who usurped your throne, who stole the throne from you. And we were worried that he was going to kill you, that he was going to come get you. And so we quickly grabbed you up to hide you. But in that process, we fell and you became lame. But the good thing is that wicked king didn't get you. So all his life, all he's known is that this man, King David, is out to get him. This man who's his king, this usurper of his rightful throne, is waiting to kill him. And then one day he gets the news, David wants to see you. I've been found. He finally found me after all these years. And he's probably thinking, I'm going to my certain death. So he sends for him from Lodabar, that barren, wasteful place. And Mephibosheth shows up, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, and he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth! And he says, here is your servant. He's basically pleading for mercy. Kill me now. Or just, you know, do what you want. Here I am, face first before him. What's David's heart? The son of Jonathan. The one that I get to show loving kindness to. So he says to him, do not fear. Don't be worried. You know, this is the most common phrase that God says in all of the Old Testament. Whenever he would show up, what was the reaction? They would fall on their face and prostrate themselves. And he said, do not fear. Here's David. Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Because of the covenant, I will show you hesed and restore you all the land of your grandfather Saul and you shall eat at my table regularly. You know what he did right there? He says, now you're my son. I've adopted you into my family. You eat at my table now. You're not my servant. You're my son. And you have all the rights to my, as my son. In fact, I will give you land. And then the next verse he says to Ziba, in fact, you and your servants, you farm the land to look after him. And you bring the food to him. But whenever he wants to eat, he's allowed to come to my table. Could you imagine Mephibosheth showing up for the first time on his crutches? Or maybe someone's got to carry him because maybe he's not even able to walk with crutches. And so someone carries him to the table. They seat him down at the, at the, on the chair next to David. And all of other David's kids are looking around going, who's the new kid? I don't remember him. <laughs> Why is he sitting here? Why is he next to dad? And then David sits down and they say grace maybe and and they start to dig into the food. And so someone finally builds up the courage and says, Hey, what are you here for? By what right are you allowed to sit at this table? This, is, this table belongs to the king and his family only. And maybe at that moment, Mephibosheth, he reaches over and grabs David's sleeve and pulls his arm and lifts his arm up. And he can point to a scar. So see that scar? That scar is a sign of the covenant 
that your father made with my father. That said that if one thing would happen to one of them, the other would take care of their household and their family. And when my father died, your father became my father. And so I have all the rights seated at this table now. Pass the chicken. <laughs> and they would have done that. I don't know if they would have said pass the chicken, but <laughs> pass the matzo. But he had every right to sit at the table and he could do it all the time, anytime he wanted. And so again, he prostrated himself and he says, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I mean, I've been harboring wicked, evil thoughts towards you. I've wanted you dead for what you did to me. But you're not that person. Instead, you treat me, this servant, this dead, worthless dog. You, you love me? You give me this treasured gift? I don't deserve it. And David's probably thinking, you're right. But that's not why, as he points to the scar. And the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. He restored to him the lands. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. I want him there. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem and he ate at the king's table regularly. He had all the land, but where did he choose to live? He wanted to be near David. See, Saul was a Benjamite. His land did not include Jerusalem because Jerusalem belonged in Judah. But that's where he wanted to live. He wanted to be close to David. He wanted to eat at his table regularly. Now, if you didn't already see it, let me pointed out to you we have God and Jesus David and Jonathan enter into covenant together and the covenant applies to all those that are in him all the descendants to come because you and I are in Christ the covenant that God made with Jesus applies to you and I but we are lame we are cripples we are but dead dogs who God had every right to strike us down because we were sinful. But because of the covenant that Father had made with Jesus, because of that said, that loving kindness, He almost cries out, Who can I show loving kindness to for the sake of my Son Jesus? Are there any descendants, are there anyone in Christ that I can show said to loving kindness? And as a result of our faith, that applies to you and I. And so he calls us to him and he says, You must eat at my table regularly. I will restore to you what was lost. that You will, be, you will have it. And though you are lame and you have nothing to offer me, it is because of Hesed, covenant, loving kindness. And I find it interesting for all the scars that Jesus would have had 
all the wounds that he had on his journey to the cross, the back, his face, his legs, it was so marred with all the lashings and whipping and the beating and the spitting of all the wounds were healed on resurrection day, except the scars in his wrists. He chose to keep them. The sign of the covenant. The reminder of the hesed. That he should, could show loving kindness to you and I. That's what's available to us. That's the picture that God has given to you and I. That the same love that David had from Mephibosheth, the Father has for you and I. Because of the covenant with Jesus. This message was recorded by Crossways to Life. It is the desire of Crossways to Life to know Jesus deeper and disciple Christians to experience life in Him through the message of the cross. For more information about our ministry, upcoming courses and events, or how to contact us, please visit our website at www.crosswaystolife.org.